As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. And welcome to another unbelievable classic replay. I'm Ruth Jackson, and this week we're delving back into the archives to bring you a discussion on the question Should women be in ministry? Should women be church leaders? Obviously, it's something which uh, many denominations differ on. Let's jump in on today's discussion. Justin Briley here to introduce another show from our vast archive, and this one first broadcast in May 2011, debates uh, the Church of England's views on women ordination, but also generally what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, Back in 1995, the Church of England allowed the ordination of women priests, but the question of whether the Bible forbids female authority in the church still remains a hot potato for many people in that denomination and beyond. Well, Christina Rees serves on the Archbishop's Council and the General Synod, and she advocates for women in ministry and female bishops. In fact, I heard just recently that Christina has in fact gone forward herself for ordination. Uh, John Richardson uh, on, uh, from the conservative evangelical group Reform within the C of E disagrees with female ordination. And in fact, John Richardson passed away in 2014, no longer with us. But uh, we're airing this discussion that took place between John and Christina. Hope you enjoy revisiting this one. Well, welcome, Christina and John, to the studio. Good to have you both in with me today. Christina, uh, first time being on the show, so perhaps we'll say hello to you first. Um, uh, You've campaigned for a long time for um, women in ministry and indeed going on to be bishops, etc. You're not ordained uh, yourself, Christina, but you've certainly obviously championed women's ordination. And uh, this has been an important part of your life for a long time. When did that call, how did it develop, where did it come from? As a child, I was raised as a Christian in a Christian home, so I was always aware of God, and Jesus was like my big older brother who was there to take care of me. But uh, it was after a special experience of the Holy Spirit when I was a teenager where I um, had uh, an experience that I think a lot of people have, which uh, are a sense of being totally and utterly loved, absolutely drenched, saturated with God's love. And I came out of that uh, wanting to tell the world. And luckily my my then pastor was very interested in it when I told him. And he said, well, next Sunday, instead of my preaching a sermon, um, I want to interview you and and you tell the congregation mm. just what you've told me. And that was so exciting to me. And I never really looked back. So I've been preaching since I was 17. 
and uh, started studying theology um, academically since the age of 19, uh, as, along with my undergraduate studies in mm. English and the performing arts, and then went and did my um, postgraduate studies in theology and communication. So it feels like a lifelong thing, but certainly my um, uh, awakening to mm. Mm. Uh, a deep conviction that the absolute equality of women and men um, before God and an important wrong to be put right, something to be healed, which was part of uh, what we're trying to do with the world as part of mm. what Christ would have us do, mm. came to me in my 20s. Right. OK. And and since that time, you know, it's that's been ongoing. I mean, um, don't, don't want to sort of date you here, but, but w- w- was it around the time that women were formally allowed to be ordained? Yes, that you I, came, I, I was uh, elected yourself? onto the General Synod of the mm. Church of England in 1990, mm. and I'd already been debating the issues of can mm. women be ordained mm. as priests in my diocese of St. Albans, and uh, uh, a friend of mine who was against women's ordination and I would sort of drive to the same venue. I'd drive him, um, he didn't drive, and, uh, you know, would debate against <laughs> each other with great sort of sparks flying. And then I'd say, all right, John, now we go home and we drive back and we were friends and neighbours. And and so I, I have been doing that since that time and then um, got involved with the Women Bishops campaign and was elected the first chair of Women and the Church, an organisation commonly known mm. as WATCH. And uh, I was chair of that for nearly 14 years. Well, it's another John that you're going to be debating on, on this issue today, not in a car, but in our studio, uh, though I am driving the desk, as they say. So, um, John Richardson, thank you very much for joining us. You've, you've you. been in a couple of times before. Yes. Um, similarly, when we've done uh, more inter-Christian issues, and obviously you represent, if you like, to label it, let's say, a, a conservative evangelical point of view mm-hmm. as far as reform uh, exists for that purpose with a grouping within the Church of England. Uh, John, you're, you're a vicar. Well, not technically. Well, I'm not, actually an uh, associate minister. Oh, well, I'm an know. ordained minister yes, in yes. the Church of England. You're yeah. ordained, Vicar, though. Vicar for short. You're yeah. ordained. Yeah. And, and um, uh, what um, kind of did reform do uh, think of that point when the Anglican Church did officially accept women uh, into ministry? That was the point which really sparked, I suppose, the, the coming into being mm. of reform. So I think that, that it was really the sums genesis, it all up. Yes, that, was, yes, yes, yes. That, that was the trigger. I mean, as, as Christina touched on, there, there's a long-standing debate in Anglican circles and in evangelical circles going back a long way as, as to how to integrate our biblical understanding of men and women and our Anglican structures of ministry, uh, which I think is really one of the areas where the debate lies. Mm. But um, the out of, I think, rather a sort of late start coming to the debate uh, when it reached the level of General Synod in 1993, when, when uh, 92, 93, when the decisions were being made, uh, out of that came reform, yes, as an organisation. I mean, obviously at that time, some chose to jump ship altogether from the Anglican denomination. Mm-hmm. Others, there were splinter groups formed in one form or another. I mean, reform has remained within the Anglican communion. Yep. Now, how do you sort of balance that, given that you obviously do differ strongly mm-hmm. on this, well, on this uh, issue? I think the thing we have to, to be absolutely clear on is when the decision was, was made to allow women to be ordained to, to the Anglican priesthood, it was made absolutely clear that 
you could be a faithful Anglican and agree with that, or you could be a faithful Anglican and disagree with that. And there was to be no discrimination uh, in practical terms at all on the basis of one's views on this issue. Now, in fact, that has not happened in practice. There has been discrimination. But um, those, those of us who were already ordained before the event and who didn't jump ship, didn't jump ship on, on the basis that, that we genuinely accepted that, that everybody was still welcome in the Church of England and the Church of England would find a way of making this work mm. for everybody. That, that was the commitment that was made in the early 90s. Maybe we'll get back to some of the practical implications of this a bit later, but I think the place to start probably is actually kind of with the scripture, though, mm-hmm. and, and probably just both of your fundamental differences in the interpretation of certain passages. Um, so we'll get into that. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Okay, coming uh, to you, first of all, uh, John, I think probably we'll start with the case against and then and then hear a response from Christina. Um, I mean, th- there are a few probably key passages um, that we could use. Though I'm sure you'd want to say that, that, that there is a kind of trajectory altogether. But but very often it's it's passages like First Timothy two uh, verses 11 to 14 uh, that people cite or first corinthians 14 to 34 let me just read out a couple of those just for those who don't have a uh, in bible index in their head uh, and i don't that's why i'm using my bible um so first timothy uh, chapter 2 verses 11 to 14 says for instance let a woman learn in silence with full submission i permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man she is to keep silent For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Um, So that's one example. Uh, By the way, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version here. Uh, Another one is, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 14. This is verse 34. It says, Women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only ones it has reached? So, um, I mean, more than just saying women shouldn't be in ministry, it's saying women shouldn't even speak in church. Um, Now, uh, as far as I'm aware, reform doesn't forbid women speaking at all in church. Obviously, you you apply these verses presumably more to speaking in a in an authoritative role in some way but but just give us where you're coming from is would those be verses that you would point to as pretty clear indications of of what the new testament has to say about this issue yeah, they they wouldn't be where i'd start actually funnily enough i mean you know you say reform doesn't go as far as saying women shouldn't speak in church St. paul didn't go as far as saying women shouldn't speak in church and of course one of the problems with with the one corinthians passage you quoted is is it's actually uh, a disputed text Uh, it's one of those odd floating verses that finds its way in a couple of different parts of the Bible and the 1 Timothy one is a very difficult text I I think that all let me say I think that in the Church of England what we need is a a complete going back to Bearwood debate and discussion about men and women marriage and the family and the structures of ministry because we've got problems in all those three areas but I think that the, the best star to steer by, if you like, when, when you're working your way through the biblical material, is to start with what the Bible has to say about the nature of the relationship between men and women in marriage, which is why I would always want to start actually in Ephesians 5 with, with what Paul says there about wives and husbands and Christ and the church, because I think that, that is giving a much clearer 
biblical theological framework and those other passages, especially the one Timothy one, I think actually uh, is better understood in, in the framework that that establishes. And the Ephesians passage, of course, is, is where it talks about wives being submit to, submit to your husband. reverence for Christ, wives, wives to your husbands as, as, as to the Lord, Lord, and so on and so forth. And, and from that flows for you that First Timothy passage about women as it were, being un- under authority and, and it doesn't work the other way around. I think, I think we of... integrate the 1 Timothy passage into a theology that, that really is centred around the Christ-Church relationship and the husband-wife relationship that, that, that is a reflection of that, that is an earthly model of that. I think that's, that's where we need to mm. be. And the problem, of course, in the Church of England is we've got this whole other thing going on, which is a very unbiblical structure of ministry, bishops, priests and deacons. And actually of, of those, well, the deacons we have in the Church of England are found nowhere in the New Testament. The bishops we have in the Church of England are hard to find in the New Testament. The priests we have in, in the Church of England are kind of bits and pieces of what you find in the New Testament. We, we've never had that big debate mm. Christina, so, I mean, when you look at those passages that I was reading out at face value, they do seem to be fairly, you know, um, you know, well, pretty in your face as far as what they have to say about women in the church. So wh- where, where do you come from when you start approaching those passages and, and with the sort of those, those fundamental Ephesians type passages? Yes, well, um, as John wouldn't start with particularly those mm. passages, nor would I. And... Um, uh, it, on on face value, they do look pretty uh, clear and pretty uh, uh, prescriptive about what women can and cannot do in terms of public worship. But where I like to start from the scriptures is I, I start, first of all, in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, where uh, the wonderful story of creation, where God uh, on the sixth day creates um, humanity, and uh, God creates males and females, and they're both created in God's image, and God blesses them. And and so I'd say from the very beginning, we have a beautiful picture of the mutual creation and mutual blessedness, holiness, goodness of men and women being both made in the image of God. Then... If we, if we fast forward a few thousand years and go to the New Testament, I actually go to what, it, what does it mean to be baptized into Christ? Because before someone is a, a wife or a mother, before someone works for the church, is ordained, we are human beings before God. So if we are baptized into Christ, our prime identity is as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I look at that baptism and I say, I am a new creation. And go to the same Paul, and to me, Paul is a champion of women overall. I can certainly come to those Mm, difficult mm, passages mm. in a moment, Justin. But overall, in baptism, we are the new creation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about some of the what the new creation is doing. We are new in Christ. We're not meant to look at each other the way we used to look at each other. And is Paul writing only to males? I I don't believe that at all. And he's saying part of what we've been given, all Christians who are baptized into Christ, who are part of this exciting, wonderful new creation, is that we've been given both the message and the ministry of reconciliation that 
in Christ, God is reconciling mm. all and, back and to God. And would that sort of come out in sort of passages like Galatians 3.28, 3, where it says which, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, all of you are one in Christ Absolutely, Jesus. and Paul repeats that so many times. And one of the most exciting things about that passage you just read out is that every morning good, faithful Jewish men, and remember it was only the Jewish male who was required to pray, would get up every morning and thank God that they were Jews and not Gentiles, free men and not slaves, and males and not women. And what Paul is saying is he's totally turning that and saying, look, in Christ, you don't have to pray that anymore because mm. in Christ it's not like that. It's not slave or free. It's not um, uh, you Jew, know, or Jew or Gentile or male or female. We are a new creation. Our, the barriers that we put up between people, the categories we have put each other in. And you have to remember also the context is that at the time that those writings were being written in the culture, women were property either of their their fathers or their husbands. They were so much commodity. Yes, they had dignity in the home, some women did, but ultimately they belonged I mean, to their husbands. I, I have a feeling John will, will agree in, to some degree on the liberation of, of women, that the, the Christianity that Jesus represented, but... But let's just, before we go to, to John's response, it is important then on the basis of what you said, how do we understand what Paul has written elsewhere then? These, these passages about how women should behave in church, being submissive to husbands, um, not being able to speak. Just briefly, where, well, where do you see that? Very briefly, um, the passages you read from Timothy and uh, chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. What is Paul interested in? The overriding passion of Paul was to bring everyone to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Anything got, that got in the way of that, anything that would put people off, namely um, uneducated women asking questions loudly in public services would have been incredibly off-putting. And so basically he didn't say to women, don't learn, don't bother learning about mm. this, which would have been a traditional Jewish response. What he said is, Go home, ask your husbands at home, find out, because when we meet in public, it's a different type of thing, and services in public have to be done in order, with a sense of order, and he wanted to bring people in who did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord, and his mission imperative was to bring people in, and everything but everything was was subservient to that goal. Mm. And if St. Paul were here today, I I am absolutely convinced he would be saying to the Church of England, what are you doing? Dragging your feet on this. Our mission imperative is to have women and men leading together, setting example, being being setting a different example for the people out there in the culture where women are so badly treated, so seen as second class, where one in four women in this country today um, faces serious abuse at the hands of, of uh, their, their male partners or former partners, he would be saying, we preach a different gospel. We're talking about reconciliation, restoration of broken relationships in Christ. How dare you treat women like this? Well, fascinating stuff. Um, it's got a great sort of start off then to our, our discussion here. Um, John, uh, obviously, Christina sees very differently to you. You know, she goes back, yes, to, to creation, but she also sees that in Christ we are a new creation and that these divisions uh, no longer exist. 
uh, and obviously feels that those particular passages uh, that we've spoke of of women in the church are context sensitive, let's say, um, not universal time, you know, forever commands, as it were. Uh, uh, just a response to both those sort of points that she's made in that well, last section. I just think that you know, there's very little I would disagree with. I think in what Christine is saying, because I don't think we've we've quite, I don't think we've quite got yet to the number of the thing. I mean, again, one has to start with with Genesis one, actually with Genesis one, Genesis two, and Genesis three, if you're going to understand what what sets up the biblical uh, context for understanding relationships. But um, we we need to look at. Uh, the whole question, as say, of, of uh, the relationships in the home, I think, is a critical starting point. I think if Paul were to come into our Church of England churches today, he would look at them and say, what on earth have you done with ministry? And also, what is going on in your homes? Uh, what is going on in family life? How does that pattern what I told you about with patterning Christ and the church in your relationship to one another? Husbands, are you are you as Christ? To, to the church in relation to your wives. Wives, are you as the church to Christ in your relation to your husbands? And what on earth is going on with these people with plastic collars on at the front? Because, again, we, if we're going to talk about people in ministry, we have to ask ourselves, what is ministry? What is the church's ministry? Uh, in the Church of England, we, we assume we know what that is. And, and we prepare people kind of sort of for it, and then we lay hands on them, and then we let them go off and pretty much make it up for themselves. So... Yeah, there there are issues. I think there are issues in the debate. We've hardly even begun to scratch the surface of. Okay, well, I mean, let's go to those issues then. What 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 do you think are the most salient issues well, here? And, and is it if it comes down to this issue of what starts in the home, the relationship between men and women in the home? Mm-hmm. Why why even if you did grant that there was a, a, a sort of the wife is supposed to be acting submissively to the husband in a way that the husband perhaps doesn't have to in the opposite way around. How would that translate into the church scenario, I'm wondering, you know? Okay, I, I, I think that, as I say, this, this understanding of the nature of marriage and the one-flesh relationship of marriage is central both to the biblical understanding of marriage itself and actually the biblical understanding of salvation, I think. I think that's why we're in, we're in areas of big theology here. It is true that as men and women... We stand as co-equals before God. And I think with Christina, I'm in entire agreement. Genesis 1 is very clear about that. Genesis 2 is equally clear that men and women stand in a, in a relational way to one another, which is quite unique and quite different, actually creates something different when their gender becomes relevant. And where does gender become relevant? It becomes relevant in the context of marriage. Otherwise, in the Bible, we're told to treat one another as members of the same family. So, so you know, men are called on to treat women to whom they're not married as sisters. Uh, the women would treat the men as brothers, and, and men treat other men as brothers, or if they're older, as fathers, and older women as mothers, and so on. So, there is a sort of, in, in, in the family, sexuality is, is not to the fore in family relationships, except between husband and wife, where it's absolutely at the centre of the thing. Now, out of that flows, I think, the, the, the teachings of uh, Ephesians 5 um, and, and what that calls forward. And I th- say, I think that undergirds the limitations which are there. There are limitations in the New Testament on the particular roles of women vis-à-vis the congregation but they're hard, hard to work out from, from what we've got. But there are particular old limitations there, which we then in the Church of England and other churches, I and mean, it's not just an Anglican thing, 
But we have to look at what we're doing with our structures, our institutions, our reverends and our venerables and, and our bishops and so on. Look at that and say, now, how well does what we're doing with those structures fit in with what the Bible says about really what is the core relationship, which is the husband's wife's relationship in the home and family? Do, do you want to address any of this issue of husbands yeah, and wives? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I first of all would, would want to say that, that I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that I have a, a, a slightly different take from John on the significance of gender roles uh, arising out of the second chapter of Genesis. I, I just don't, I don't see that in the same way. But, but before getting um, too much down that path, I would say that um, the whole marriage relationship and family relationships are of crucial importance to every single human being because we you know we we uh grow up in families we are we're people who were born to relate we re- we we relate as christians to to god through the the power of the holy spirit but also we relate to each other we we're born to we're not meant to be alone but that to me is a quite separate uh, or at least separate in in the detail from what we're talking about which um is can women hold authority in our churches. And I would say that while John has suggested uh, a marriage model, and let's be clear about this, there are hundreds and thousands of people in our society today who are not married and who never will marry. So it's a, it's a, a, a partial um, image for so many people in our society today, particularly there, the growing number of people who live alone. That's just not a, a particularly helpful model. The model I choose, I go back to the Bible, to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, where Paul has this other beautiful image of the body of Christ and where each one of us are in the body and when everyone works together well, the body works together well. And then he also um, uses that same image in Ephesians and talks about how we upbuild the body in love. It's all about love. And then, of course, Paul's wonderful transcendent chapter 13 in First Corinthians, where he talks about the nature of love, which is the, the supreme law for Paul. But who is at the head of this body? Everybody has a head. For Paul, Christ is the head. And and we have got so, and John is absolutely, you know, respond to what John is saying about um, how, how, you know, we could talk for hours about um, ministry in the Church of England and in other churches about, you know, how have we got to where we've gotten? Is this the helpful thing? I just had a conversation earlier today about what Peter was saying in in his um, writings about the priesthood of all believers. Where has that gone? We've lost out. It seems that you have to uh, professionalize someone, um, put this, as you say, John, this plastic collar around them backwards, and then they get to talk about theology. They get to run the churches. Mm. We're, we're so out of balance. We've got so far uh, away from what I see because that body image is, to me, the really important image. But Christ is the head, and together men and women fulfill their calling because the other way I see as being absolutely determinative for how I live my life is what am I called by the Holy Spirit to do? What am I gifted to do? 
And I do not believe the Holy Spirit doles out gifts on the basis of whether someone is male or female. It's the yieldedness and obedience of our hearts and our natural skills, which God knows better than we do. Well, we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. We're talking today uh, an inter-Christian issue, a theological issue. Should women be in ministry? Should women be church leaders? Obviously, it's something which uh, many denominations differ on. People within denominations differ on. In this case, Christina Rees, who has long been a champion of women in ministry. She's on the General Synod of the Church of England and the Archbishop's Council. John Richardson is ordained in the Anglican Church, and uh, he is part of the conservative evangelical grouping within the Church of England called Reform. So we'll be continuing to hear their conversation, looking at some more Bible passages. Uh, What about um, examples in the letters of Paul, which appear to possibly support the idea that women did have an important role, uh, a role as deacons, as elders, etc., in the early church? We'll be looking at some of that as well. Do hope you can stay with us here on Unbelievable. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Okay, come, coming back to you, John, we, we talked in that last section um, to some extent about the, the scriptural references and, and those things. And um, I mean, practically, and I'd like to come back to the scripture, but, but practically, um, do, do you have a problem with being in a church context where a woman is preaching from the front? Is that a service you would have difficulty taking part in? Um, what about giving out communion? Would, would you feel uncomfortable taking communion from a female priest and that kind of thing? I wouldn't have any problems taking communion from, from a man or a woman. Um, I, I would, back in my mind, be a big question about the preaching role, which is not entirely resolved. Even in my own thinking, I, I sometimes think, well, maybe, maybe not. But um, generally, I think I'd be less comfortable with I, that. I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I know that some churches um, who take a, you know, a strong stance on not mm. having women in leadership, they were perhaps not on the eldership or whatever the equivalent is, or um, certainly not preaching yeah. uh, sermons, but they will be okay with them leading a women's group or yep. um, teaching the children or something like that. So certain forms of teaching yep. are okay. So is it is it essentially teaching men that is the problem? What I wanted to try and do after the last section, I think we're, we're still kind of circling around mm. the target, as it were, rather. Why, why is this issue about the, 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 the family relationship? Why is the issue about the husband-wife relationship so crucial? Uh, because that is central to human relationships and it was also i think in the new testament central to church relationships i think that the new testament church actually was bipolar 
uh, it revolved around the, the gathering of, of as many people as you could squeeze into somebody's house and the house, households themselves. Uh, and, and that bipolar uh, shape of the church is something we've rather lost. So mm. that for us, church is almost invariably something you think of as centred around a particular mm. special building and mm. a particular special time of day on a particular special day and so on. But I think New Testament view was different. Now, in that bipolar thing, you, you've also got the question of, well, how, how does that work with the relationship of husband to wife? The scriptures are very clear. Uh, wives are to submit to their husbands as the Lord, and the husband is the head of the wife, the Christ is head of the church. It's, it's not something he's called to become, he just is, mm-hmm. uh, and he has to live up to his role and she has to live up to her role. Um, now, in that context, how is it going to work when, when you then overlay on that what we so often do with our church structures? We give a particular, and in the Church of England, a very great authority to the person with the dog collar on. Now, how does that work if in in the household context the person with the dog collar on is the wife and as a church leader, uh, we, we are called, Hebrews calls us, to submit to our leaders who are in authority. Okay, it, it's a bit of a conundrum. Uh, where do you come from on the whole issue then in the, in the house and the, the, the Ephesians 5 passage, which, which, well, which for John I is quite so fundamental? I think so much of that, um, I, I, I certainly am aware of those passages. Um, I, 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 I just say so much of that is is culture and it's mutual submission. For me, the, the model and the image of the body of Christ, which I was talking about earlier, with Christ as the head, women are... It, Paul writes, submit to your husbands. But he also says, husbands, love your wives. And, so and what I is suppose loving? what people forget is that the very verse prior to the verse 22 is be subject to one another out of be reference Be subject for to Christ. one another. And that's the verse that no one wants to read. And it, and it oh, also, no, he, no, no, you, you, you're, you're happy, I'm, I'm you're happy, happy to read. read. Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm pleased, John, um, because it, I, you know, there's... follows from that. That's right. But, but that's not the only place. Paul when he's giving these sort of very sort of you can feel him sort of getting all sort of het up and saying, oh, you know, this is what I want you to do. This is the way to live uh, a life worthy of Christ. And then he often says something about, nevertheless, I say to you, the husband is subject to Christ. And, you know, it's a mutuality. He's painting a picture of mutuality, of order. And I, I really think that that's that's something that is a, a huge challenge for couples who are married to each other to get right and everything. But I, I don't see that moving over um, lock, stock and barrel in terms of the dynamic to how we run our churches. And when I go back to the book of Acts, um, I see Paul very definitely working with women on the basis of them as colleagues, highly trusted, all those um, house churches that you were speaking of, John, they were often in the homes of wealthy women. We know that, that Paul seemed to um, be, be uh, you know, the, the wealthy women responded to him very readily and opened their homes to, to have Christian teaching and everything. Also, when Paul traveled around, he wanted the best teachers and preachers to, to be traveling with mm. him and doing their own mm. ministry. And we know about that husband and wife I, I mean, team it, called Priscilla and Aquila. And, you know, as biblical scholars are, are uh, fond of saying, her name is, is used first 
and that is generally an indication um, that the that the more dominant mm. uh, person. I mean, it's interesting because that kind of an argument comes from kind of almost the anecdotal at the side in the margin sort of elements of these letters. I mean, you could also maybe point to, to Romans 16 and, and Paul just mentions at the start of the chapter there, I commend you to, uh, to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at uh, Kentri. Well, that's certainly the, the, the title that the NRSV gives her. So, so, and, and you just think, well, he wasn't unfamiliar with women having these sorts of roles. In Not the at all. And also in Romans 16, there's been a, a, a very serious mistranslation is that when he talks about uh, Junius in the original, it's mm. Junia. Mm. And she was considered along with others, um, an apostle. And that was mistranslated because the people at the time who were doing this sort of work said, oh, well, you can't have a woman apostle. So uh, we'll t- change it into Junius. You've got to be very careful not to overstate the case, haven't you, Christine? I mean, you you know as well as I do that that particular uh, little sets of verses there is chewed over and debated over. There is the question of the junior junius thing, which which isn't entirely resolved, despite all that's been said on that. I, th- I think it's ninety percent resolved in in favour of a female name. But then the meaning, what actually the meaning is of what Paul is saying about the, this couple. And and the apostles that is highly debated and and again one of our one of the problems I have with all this is we're being urged to take steps about the church in areas which we we are still highly contentious in the 1970s the Church of England General Synod I think I think it was in in the 70s but it it certainly did in its past I think one of the most stupid things anybody has ever done in Christendom which is to vote that there were no theological je- objections to the ordination of women. As priests. Which, 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 yeah, yeah. which is a bit like voting, that there's no dispute over six-day creationism or um, you know, Christian evolution. You know, you, it's just stupid to say there, there, there's no debate or discussion over these things. There, there's enormous, uh, many theological objections and problems. My, my personal anxiety is not to do anything that is uncertain in an area where it might cause enormous problems that we haven't yet foreseen down the track. So when I'm looking at things like going back to our earlier passages, mm. you know, the one Timothy passage about I do not allow women to teach and so on, I look at that and say, well, the one thing I must make sure I don't do is something stupid with that. And if it, if it seems to be urging caution, then I'm going to be cautious in my application of it. So, so as you asked me earlier how I would feel about listening to having a woman who was preaching in church, I would feel uncomfortable, not because I'm 100% convinced it was wrong, but because I'm convinced that I'm I'm not sure it should be mm. happening. I'm convinced okay. of that. I mean, I mean, moving aside just from, you know, we've talked a lot about the scriptures and, and different aspects that we might draw into this for and against. But um, at the end of the day, a lot of people just see this as, well, I know people like Christina who are, capable gifted as much as any other man i've seen at the fr- leading a service at the front of the church and whose peer you know we heard christina's story at the start of the program very called to this they, they really do genuinely feel that god has called them to this mm. and, and they might ask who are you john to say sorry you know accord you know you're not allowed that this is a gift this is a, a role reserved for men when when on the face of it there, there seem to be so many good reasons for, for women to, to be exercising ministry and, and we see many fruitful ministries from, from female uh, we, we may or may not do I think again one, one of the things you learn about church history is that things sometimes take a long time to pan out 
and there have been movements in church history. I, I, I always think the classic example, and I'm sorry for any of your listeners who are Quakers, but I think Quakers are a classic example of a body who were fervent for the gospel, full of the spirit, you know, being led by God in the immediate presence and did a fantastic work of witness for 200 years or so, had enormous social influence and completely went off trajectory. And the roots of that problem are there at the beginning of Quakerism. They just took a long time to work out. So so if I feel uh, at this stage, no, I'm not convinced that now is the time to go with this or this is the right way to go and so on, I'm going to say church history teaches us that some things that, that look fantastic and even work out well in some regards can still wind up with dead churches in 200 years, 300 years' time. Things take time to work out. Mm. And, and our responsibility is to try and get them right where we can. Well, um, of course our responsibility is to, is to be as faithful to uh, the teachings uh, of of Jesus Christ and the the wider text of 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 the New Testament and indeed the the Old Testament as well as possible, but John, you and I have agreed on most everything, and from what you say, you are you are agnostic about the role of women, and I would say that I am. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm agnostic about. I'm I'm saying that that I'm I'm not going to put my hand up and say I'm a hundred percent on on some areas of that. I mean, I'm, I'm not at all agnostic about the husband-wife relationship thing for a start. And I can see real problems uh, in the way that Anglicans do ministry when, as you have happening a lot now in the Church of England, you have ordained women who are married whose husbands are then, in church terms, uh, called on to submit to their wives in their wife's role in the church. Now, that causes me problems. Well, it, I, I know hundreds of ordained women and I know all the, or nearly all, the... Um, women bishops in the Anglican Communion and I also know many of their husbands and I, I just do not find that sort of problem at all going but on would, in their if, lives. If you talk to them about their homes, you, I, I, I remember a year or two back having a, a late night discussion with one of our bishops and one of our supporters of women's ordination, woman supporter of women's ordination, both the bishop and, and the woman concerned supporters. And where it got interesting was when we stopped talking about the church and we started talking about the home and, and the discomfort about the Ephesians 5 scenario of what the husband-wife relationship is seemed to me to be a key problem. Now, I've, I've been reading you know, opinions around this and thinking that's actually the elephant in the room for uh, those, I think I'd have to say, for those who are advocates of women's ordination in the Church of England. It's actually the Ephesians 5 material on the family that, it, that is problematic and that they cannot come to terms with. However you try and say that. Well, what, what, I would have say? to say that if up to the point where women were uh, allowed to be ordained at all, um, we saw um, healthy, healed, uh, restored families across the board uh, in, in Christian families and particularly in um, the families of uh, the male priests and ministers, then then that might uh, be slightly more persuasive. But we're talking about um, uh, families that have been broken and abusive for hundreds and hundreds of years. And to me, what I see as acknowledging women as able to hold spiritual authority and able to um, minister in the name of Christ 
alongside men, with both men and women in mutual submission to one another as under Christ, I see that this will be one of the the great acts of of releasing the so badly needed healing in our marriages, in our families, and in our churches, and in society. I think it will have a huge knock-on effect. It strikes me that the the fundamental disagreement then comes down to a different view of, of in in that home-family-marriage relationship. You obviously see this as a co-equal submission to one another. You, John, couldn't, I assume, don't see it that way. You, You say there is a role in which the woman ultimately does submit where it becomes necessary to uh, male authority leadership etc that that is that is the way that that it appears to be laid reading reading ephesians 5 it seems to be that's entire it just talks about submit to one another and then it gives a sequence of relationships but it also says slaves obey your masters in that same passage we don't believe we've abolished slavery but we haven't abolished parenthood have we (laughs) <laughs> no, and that's a whole other uh, issue that is, uh, you know, how we raise children and, and that. You know, it used to be considered I, – I, I mean, I doubt my father ever changed um, uh, nappies of me and my brother and sister – uh, my husband certainly helped out, and these days uh, it has been seen and understood that the more involved the father is with the bringing up of the children, the better. And so I think that passage in Ephesians, really, it cannot bear the weight of the ordination question or of the women in uh, authority and in, in authority in churches question because if you look at it in, in its fullness we see how things have moved on and that the important thing that to me comes out of what Paul was trying to communicate is, is that again it's this order it's this it's this um this, to me, it's all about mutual submission to Christ. My husband and I kneel together before the Lord, but but I don't kneel to him. Mm. And he, nor to you, I suppose, no, when he's not in at church, all. you know. No, no Because not when at he all. receives communion from your hand or I, hears I you speak, yeah. do, do, do he, you he, get any sense that he's somehow then, that the relationship has changed from when you're in the home? Or, or uh, it... n- not at all. I, 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 I'm not ordained, so I don't preside at communion. Mm. And the communion is another interesting thing. And I was interesting to hear you, John, say that you wouldn't mind taking communion from a woman, but you would be uncomfortable with having a woman preach. I think where people get don't accept communion from a woman, I, I think it's absolutely shocking because where is Christ Christ is in is in the elements is in the is in the wine and the bread or you know the grape juice and the bread that's where Christ is it's not it's 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 not in the actual priest mm, mm. and in fact one of the articles in the anglican church i think it's article 27 um says that that the the elements as consecrated does not depend on the the good standing and the holiness of the priest that is actually doing mm, mm. Um, the consecration and saying the right prayers over. If it did, heaven help us, mm. because who knows what goes on in that priest's life? No one digs into it. But I think it's a sense of order, a sense of mutual submission under Christ. And I really think this is serious because I think it is it is this sort of lingering should we women be submissive to men. And I don't even need to go into the centuries of misreading of that in, in antiquity that that caused uh, untold horrors 
you know, there are the witch hunts. But, you know, we have wonderful church fathers who were cutting-edge theologians of their day saying things like, women are the devil's gateway. Mm. What did they base that on? Genesis 2. Then they have, you know, we had wonderful educated um, French abbots who were instructing their novice monks saying, when you embrace a woman, you embrace a sack of manure. Based on what? Mm. Where do you find that? Mm. Mm. You know, and I think Sorry, that's where, part of... Where do of, you find that? Oh, that's Odo, of, that. that's of Odo of Cluny. No, when, um, when you said, when, when no, do they base that no, on? Where they, do you they find don't, that? They don't, but it's, it's this, it's this um, understanding that somehow women are lesser. Uh, women were demonized by... By, so, um, so where are you going with this, Christine? Well, I'm sorry, because I can, I can hear the point, this, but I'm wondering where what, it comes is in. Is from what you say, um, when I said uh, the important thing is Genesis 1, mm -hmm. the creation and, and the mutuality, our mutuality, and you said yes, but there also has to be the gender distinctiveness in Genesis 2 and yeah. then uh, the fall, presumably, after in that. Genesis well, 3, you yeah. see, um, the, the, the story of the fall has, has, been, has been so badly misinterpreted where the fault is... The woman, and there are, you know, and, and as Paul, as as Justin, you read out, mm. um, Paul refers to that mm. in some of his letters, and that has been so badly misused. So, what do you to think see Paul women was as at? lesser beings? What, what do you think Paul was getting at with with, with the one Timothy reference? Because it's a phenomenally difficult passage. Well, Tom passage, Wright but... has written written about that, and and it's very obscure. It's it's not at all clear what he's getting, but uh, it, it's instead of seeing childbirth as something that makes yeah, a woman not, polluted or something, it's um, well, deceived. I mean, it, the, 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 just to give you the the passage um, in First Timothy says, "I permit no woman to teach or have authority over a man; she is to keep silent." For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. Yeah, it's, it, it is sort of, you know, a tough one. Uh, I just have to say that was Paul writing from, that's one of those culturally limited, where he also writes in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about how, um, you know, it's it's a scandal for men to have long hair and women must be veiled mm. because of the angels. And that's another contested thing. What do they mean? Well, it used to be considered that it, that some, some angels who were seen um, largely as being male um, could be tempted by very beautiful um, women and so what, women must veil mm, their hair mm. and, and that's one of the interpretations uh, there are others so I think that's Paul as the Paul of his time with his own understanding and Paul definitely broke out of that mm, and what but, Paul wrote is, is, is to be paid attention to and I don't want to dismiss and I, I, I will not say the way some people oh uh, yeah. just ignore Paul mm. not at all we have to wrestle with that but we would have to go back to biblical scholars who would say what was the understanding in those days of childbirth mm. of all sorts of things that were culturally that we now have moved yeah, on okay. from could, I wonder yeah, if I could try and pick up on that because I've, I say I've taken the view um, that the husband-wife relationship is actually the heart of this. Interesting, just to go back slightly, I was amused when you spoke about the 1 Corinthians 12 language about the body, because Paul's body language is actually the, the unified body of the, the, that re is reflected in a husband-wife relationship, so his body language, I think, is marriage language, actually. But going back to the 1 Timothy thing, um, if you put that into uh, this context of, of the husband-wife relationship being the prior thing, 
what, what's the relevance of Adam and Eve? They were husband and wife. They're not just a man and woman. They're a man and woman literally made for one another. They're a husband and wife. What you see in that context, however, is that, that actually deception came in through the woman to the man. That's pretty much what Paul is saying. Now, what that, I think, flags up is, is honestly, it's one of our male weaknesses. We are vulnerable to our wives. And why, I often put the question, why did Adam eat the fruit when he was offered it? It seems to me clear why Eve gave the fruit, because it is wonder bread. It's desirable to make one wise. It's attractive to the eyes and all the rest of it. It's obvious why she did it. Why did he eat it? And the answer I give is because he loved Eve. He ate it because of her, his love for her. And that leaves a man op- uh, open and vulnerable uh, to, uh, frankly, to his wife's spirituality. And I'm... I, uh, and I you say he ate say, it because he was disobedient, because he... I, I think it's putting, again, so much more on Eve and, and, and saying because God told them both, don't eat the fruit mm-hmm. of this one tree. You can mm-hmm. eat everything else in the garden, this beautiful yep. garden, this wonderful image, but don't eat the fruit. So what, yep. what happens? Guess what? They both blow it. Eve eats it, she disobeys God, yeah. and Adam eats it. He doesn't disobey yeah. his wife, he disobeys God. No, he obeys God. his wife. No, yeah, God, God but, says, but, you obeyed your wife. You're, you know, I'm having both, a go at you because you've listened to the voice of your yeah, wife. But they both but, disobey yeah. God in their own way. Yes, yeah. And we can with talk about the subtleties. What I'm saying and is with their own but motivation. I don't think that can be a blanket sort of um, Eve, you know, the women are then the deceptive, weak, you know, weak-willed, ooh, let's have this, you know, well, stuff. And that men, uh, I, I think... You know, it's interesting to talk about the dynamic of of how that story is presented. But I think basically what it says to me is, is people sin, people disobey God and reap the consequences. And the good news of the of of Jesus Christ is that is that we can be reconciled because of him. God looks at me and doesn't see my weakness, my sinfulness, my disobedience. God sees a beautiful clean me because of what Jesus did for me and I will sin probably every day for the rest of my earthly life but I am seen as completely and utterly acceptable to God because of what Jesus did. Okay well we'll be starting to wrap up our thoughts in the next section of today's program so uh, do keep listening this is Unbelievable with me Justin Briley and we'll see you in just a moment's time. Time to conclude our discussion today on women in ministry, uh, women in church leadership. Uh, if you want to get in touch, I'm going to give you the uh, ways to do that very shortly. And I know it's an issue that does divide Christians, um, and many Christians, you know, hold that intention. Uh, it's not often something that necessarily means Christians can't work together, who, who hold different views theologically on this. But um, obviously, uh, some denominations do insist upon it, uh, not least the Catholic Church. Um, uh, but in any case, uh, we'd like to get your thoughts. Uh, Christina Reese, editor of Apostolic Women, Apostolic Authority. That's a book available from Canterbury Press. And um, you can also uh, find out more about uh, the whole issues to do with this from uh, from uh, the, the perspective that Christina is bringing today uh, at the website of womenandthechurch.org, womenandthechurch.org. John Richardson is the uh, the person behind the Ugly Vicar blog uh, that's ugly with an e vicar.blogspot.com but uh, he's part of reform a conservative evangelical grouping within the church of england so they've been talking today about whether the bible and uh, the christian christianity in general sort of 
uh, allows for women in ministry. And uh, we'll hear the conclusion of that conversation now. John, we've covered a lot of areas in various ways. When it comes to um, this area, are your concerns purely biblical? Um, it sounds as though, in what you said, you, you kind of have this concern about, um, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, in, when we're talking about Adam and Eve, um, he opened, made himself vulnerable to his wife's spirituality. It, it sounds like you, you're, you are wary of um, men, in any sense, coming under a woman's influence uh, spiritually, that... I mean, I mean, in, in a sense, isn't it almost impossible to avoid that? We, we influence each other in all sorts of ways. I wouldn't want not to be influenced by women. I'm, presumably you don't either, you know, have a sort of, you know, wall between I, you I and any, anyone who tries to tell... I the books by women. Exactly. I mean, no, so, no, so, no. so yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just trying to drill yeah. down a bit to... to is it, you know it must be very hard for you sometimes to decide what is okay and what isn't okay uh, as you said i think it's hard for us all the time and deciding sometimes following scripture in difficult areas last time i was here we were here on the subject of homosexuality and that that again is a, a, a difficult presenting area now what what i would want to say is i th- i think there is a danger of overstating uh, the if you like the anti case because the Bible, it seems to me, quite clear that, that the context in which gender really matters is a relational context, and it's the, the, not the social relationship of pe- persons, but the marriage relationship of husbands and wives. That's the relationship in which it matters. But that is the relationship, as, as those of us who are married know, where our vulnerabilities and our problematic parts of our personality actually come to the fore. That's where they really kick in. And it's in that context, I think, that this particular vulnerability exists. But is I'd there not... a danger, though, in, in it just, you know, from the outside, people look at the church, um, particularly a church where women are still not seen as being able to take an equal part in all, all aspects of life and say, that is an, an archaic institution. I mean, where else do you see that in, in the modern world? Is there a danger of people seeing the church there, as yeah, a... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was staying with a, with a friend last night in London because I was coming down here. I told her that I was coming. She's not a Christian, told her I was coming to have this debate. Mm. And uh, it went a little bit frosty at that point because, you know, her view was how, how can the church, you know, the church needs to get on with the job of being the church and so on. And I agree, absolutely. But the church works within parameters laid down by her Lord and the apostles. And so, for example, in the area of homosexuality, it seems to me that teaching the Bible is very clear on that. But it's also very clear in teaching on divorce, uh, which is another area where, you know, the church would seem to be massively out of touch and out of step with society. Where I think we we can usefully do some work is two things. One is is the model of good marriage. The other, which, which is always going to be a battle, the other is, frankly... Going back to this issue of what is ministry, the the Church of England particularly, but all, all churches I think suffer from it. We institutionalise authority uh, and and place it in the hands of the tiny tiny minority, and and we actually take initiative. We infantilise the majority of our church members, and we take initiative. And it, it sounds like you've been agreeing with that aspect of what John's I, been saying. I couldn't agree more with John's last comment. I, I can't agree with some of the others, but mm. th- about how, how the vast majority of people in most churches I know of, not just my own Anglican church, are infantilised. We really need to look again at what we're doing with our authorised ministers, our, our ordained clergy, versus, to me, um, all the laity who are mm. the the front worms, the front line people, mm. they're out there in the world. Mm. They're they are 
to be, to me, empowered and enabled by the small number of ordained clergy relative to the size of the lay people. But I want to say the model to me, which is why I can be so positive and why I am excited, the model is the body of Christ, which I mentioned earlier, with Christ as the head, and our great challenge is how, how to learn to discover, you know, how we fit into that body and how we make that whole, how we work with one another, relate with one another, with with bearing in mind that we always know that it's by by God's grace, it's the Holy Spirit working through us and in us and among us that we can do the work of Christ, be Christ's hands and feet and eyes and lips and heart. And then also the other model that I work on very much is that model of reconciliation. We are people who have a hope. We are people who believe that love is the supreme law, that God is a God of love, and to me that we are called to minister with the message of that love and God's reconciling power through Christ. And how do we do that? We go out and we do as we are called, we respond as we see the need, and to me, I cannot wait for the church to get beyond this can she, can't she nonsense, because I think I think we really need to move beyond that and see each other as individuals, all of us saved, uh, all of us sinners at the foot of the cross, and and doing the best we can with the light we have. Yes, the Bible is is a, a great authority, but ultimately, uh, we we worship a living God, mm. and and we have to be responsive to where God is calling us now. Well, thank you both for joining me on the program. It's been a fascinating discussion, and uh, well, the places you can find out more about both my guests and the issues we've been talking about uh, on the podcast for this program. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that discussion. Please let us know what you thought. Email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week for another unbelievable classic replay. 